Let's continue in our study in John's Gospel. We'll be in chapter 15 of John's Gospel. We left off at verse 6 last week, so we'll pick it up at verse 7. So John's Gospel, chapter 15, we'll start reading at verse 7, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter, which is verse 27. If you need a Bible, follow along with us and study God's Word with us this morning. Just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you a Bible. And then turn to John, the fourth Gospel of the New Testament, chapter 15. And we'll start reading at verse 7. Of course, in this upper room discourse that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, beginning in chapter 13 and continues through chapter 17, Jesus is with his disciples for the last time before his crucifixion. You recall that after they had that Passover meal together, that he arose from supper and he washed the disciples' feet and he told them that this is what you are to do to one another. I've given this act of servanthood and humility as an example to you. And then, of course, Jesus would begin to speak to them. He would speak to them about how one of you is going to betray me. And Judas would be identified as the betrayer. And in chapter 13, verse 30, Judas would leave as Jesus said to him, what you must do, do quickly. The others did not suspect that Judas was the betrayer, but he would leave. And then as Jesus is left with the 11 that are his, he would begin to really share his heart with them. This is the last time that he is with them before he goes to the cross at Calvary. And he begins to tell them about loving one another just as I have loved you. And all will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. But then we know that they would be troubled in their heart as Jesus was talking about how he was going away and they could not come. And Peter, you're going to deny me and all of you are going to be made to run away uh, because of me this night. And so as we traveled into chapter 14, Jesus would say that you don't have to be troubled in your heart because you believe in me. And I've prepared a place for you. You know the nature of the Father. And he would go on to say that I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The orphan is one who is alone and neglected. I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to send a comforter, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And as we move into chapter 16 next week, we'll see that Jesus is going to get more specific about the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then Jesus would go on to say that you have my peace that is with you. And so he's bringing comfort to them. And then as we moved into chapter 15, Jesus talks about abiding in him. And that's what we're going to continue to discuss as we finish chapter 15 here this morning. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we ask that you bless this time and study of your word. And Lord, we thank you for these words of comfort because we, as your disciples, as believers, we need these words as well. And Lord, as we talk about Christmas and a time of peace and, and joy uh, to all men, uh, Lord, that we know that it is something that cannot come except for abiding in you and Lord, um, having that close, intimate fellowship with you. So Lord, I pray that this morning as we hear Jesus speaking to us about abiding in his love and in his word and in him personally, that, Lord, that we would take heed and we would know that if we want true fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and peace in life, which I believe all of us do, then it comes by abiding in Christ. And, Lord, I pray that as a result of just being in your word and, and Lord, listening to the words of Jesus and then having it worked out in our lives, that fruit would be produced in our lives abundantly. So, Lord, we thank you that we're here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. And so as we moved into chapter 15, as I said that Jesus is talking about abiding in him, but he would give that final seventh I am statement that we have recorded in John's gospel. And as we discussed last week, um, not only are these statements that Jesus makes declaring the name of God, but he also becomes to us everything that we need. And so we saw as we moved into chapter 15 that Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, and we are the branches, and we are to abide in him so that we will bear fruit in our lives. The vine dresser is the one that takes care of the vineyard, and taking care of the vineyard, so it produces fruit, and as much fruit as possible. And the branch that abides in the vine uh, will produce fruit, just as we abide in Christ. And 
Jesus would say, without me, you can do nothing. So we produce fruit in our lives uh, as we abide in Christ, and we're going to continue this theme as verse 7, we pick up our text of John chapter 15, Jesus saying, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So we saw in the previous chapter that Jesus had already said that whatever you ask in my name, I will do. And we know to ask in Jesus' name means more than, you know, um, than just desiring to ask something uh, that I can get it. But asking in Jesus' name means to ask according to the nature and the character of God, according to His will. It is not a statement that makes Jesus out to give us anything that we want. And here, of course, the key Jesus says to receive uh, what you desire is to abide in me, to abide in my will, in my, my words. And as we do that, our desires uh, are, again, going to be according to what we know to be God's will for us. As we know him through the word of God, as we know his character, as we know the nature of God, his desire for our lives, and we've been reading that as we've gone through John's gospel, and particularly even in this upper room discourse, we know that Jesus says that you and I are to die to self, that we are to prioritize heaven, that we are to know him, that we are to be in fellowship with him, that we are to abide in him. It does not mean, as Jesus makes this statement in verse 7, that we're to be like spoiled kids asking and expecting anything and everything. But the prayer of faith for you and for me is this, that Lord, I trust you. And you've saved me, you've forgiven me, and I belong to you. And we can give the Lord the desires of our hearts as we say, Lord, here's my desires, here's my wants, here's what's on my heart. But Lord, you do as you see best. Not my will, but your will be done. And as we get closer to the Lord, as we have that close, intimate fellowship with the Lord, then his desires are going to become our desires. And we know that the Lord is not going to withhold anything that is good for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, as I quoted last week, that he who did not spare his own son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And the implication is all good things. And if the Lord withholds anything from us, then it must not be good for us in, in heavenly, eternal perspective and in God's perspective. Or he has something better. Or maybe he's saying, wait. So, Lord, I just want to trust in you. Lord, I want to have closeness with you. And I'll give you the desires of my heart. But as we draw closer to the Lord, as we know him and walk with him, that his desires are going to be our desires. And Lord, I just want to glorify you, which leads to verse 8. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And as we have seen, the Lord's desire is that we bear fruit. And as we do, it is to glorify God. It's not to bring glory to ourselves. Now, you may be asking, we've been talking about fruit as we ended last week's teaching and as we talk about bearing fruit in the life of a believer, what exactly is fruit that Jesus is talking about? Well, for you who like to jot down notes, here's some verses for you that you can read and look up and kind of study on. In Romans chapter 1, verse 13, as well as Colossians chapter 1 speaks of this, and John chapter 4, that winning souls is fruit. When you bring the gospel to others, when you are witnessing to others, and they turn to Jesus, you are producing and bearing fruit in your life. Romans chapter 6, verse 22 says that we are to live in holiness, that is, bearing fruit in our lives. No longer are we a slave to sin, but we have our fruit to holiness, Paul writes. Then Romans chapter 15, verse 28, Paul says when we give financially, that is fruit that will benefit the kingdom. And it's going to benefit you in eternity. The book of Hebrews speaks of the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name. When we worship, just as we did this morning, and in your own devotions, in your own worship time, when we worship the Lord, giving praise to him and for him, then you are bearing fruit. And then ultimately, and most importantly, you know, Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit of the Spirit is love which consists of joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, and self-control. So when your life is showing love, when you're giving 
financially, when you are praising the Lord with worship, with your heart, in spirit and truth, when you are sharing the gospel with others and the truth of God's word, when you are serving others practically, then all of these things constitute fruit and we glorify the Father. In verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. We have already seen Jesus making a link uh, between loving him, his word, and then obedience. And here he does it again. Jesus says, abide in my love. And as we do, we will be ones who desire to walk in obedience to the Lord. And then Jesus makes a link between walking in obedience and joy. You see, when we fail to abide in Jesus' love and therefore fail to keep his commandments, walk in obedience, then we will not have that fullness of joy that he desires for us to have. And that's important for us as Christians to understand this truth, this precept, that Jesus is giving to us as believers. Now, something as Christians that we need to understand, and that is there is a difference between joy that the Lord desires to give to us and happiness. And the reason that I want to emphasize that again, because I think that in the church today, there is a little bit of confusion on that. Matter of fact, there is more and more teaching on being happy. And that's very popular today. And very large ministries will emphasize that God just wants you to be happy. And usually it's connected with the thought of just kind of live the way that you want to live. And be happy because God wants you to be happy. And I know that, you know, it isn't that God doesn't ever want us to be happy. But here's the thing about happiness. We know that happiness is dependent upon external circumstances. Um, we know that the Lord desires to give us something that is much deeper, much richer, and that is joy. You see, when Paul was in prison, he was chained to a Roman guard. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him when he was in Rome, and he writes those prison epistles. One of those epistles is the book of Philippians, and the whole theme of the book of Philippians is joy. He uses that word joy and rejoicing over and over and over again. He says, rejoice in the Lord again. Always I say, rejoice. So he speaks to the Christians about joy, even though Paul was in prison. He doesn't know what his future is, if Caesar Nero is going to lop his head off at that time. Uh, he, he doesn't know what his future holds, but he knows who holds his future, and that is the Lord. And one of the things that you see in the Pauline epistles, Paul going through difficult times and persecution and hardship, he had a great joy of the Lord that is in his heart. You see happiness, again, dependent upon circumstances. Um, I am happy because I got that promotion at work, right? That that's, brings happiness to us. I'm happy because the Broncos won the game, and, and they're going to be in the playoffs, and they win the division. We're going to be happy about that. Um, you know, other things that come into our lives, that I get that present that I wanted for Christmas, now, joy is something that the Lord desires to give to us, that the scripture talks about, that joy unspeakable, and we can have that joy whether or not you get that promotion or not, or you don't get that present that you wanted at Christmas, or perhaps the Broncos lose, that you can still underneath it all just have that joy unspeakable. You can have that joy that that whether things are going great or things are going bad, just that constant sense of joy, joy is that assurance, that peace, um, just that calm that you have in your heart because you know that the Lord loves you and he is with you and he's working in your life and his promises are true for you. And you can have that joy even when you face loss or disappointment or discouragement or setbacks. And that's what the Bible desires to give to all of us. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
And as we consider Hebrews chapter 12, what was that joy that was set before him? Well, I believe it's threefold. One is knowing that he would sit down at the right hand of the Father. And we know that as Jesus here has been talking about, I'm going to go back to the Father. And that would bring great joy in him knowing that he would go back to the Father and, and the Father and the Son are going to be glorified by what Jesus has done in going to the cross and resurrecting from the dead. The joy that was set before him, second of all, is you, knowing that, that as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, because what he has done for us on Calvary's cross, that it's a joy that was set before him, for him to provide salvation. I want you to always remember this, that you are a source of joy for the Lord, knowing that you're going to be with him for all eternity. Never forget that. The joy of going to the cross and providing forgiveness of sin and the hope of heaven and right relationship with the Father. But thirdly, along with what John chapter 15 and what we've just read in these verses, as we linked with, you know, abiding in Him and keeping His commandments and having a fullness of joy. And I believe that the Lord desires for us as Christians that have that fullness of joy that is in our lives. And it is linked to, as Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, I believe that it brought great joy to Jesus to be obedient to the Father and going to the cross. I will take on the cup of suffering and death. I will drink of that cup, he would say in the garden. He was praying, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he freely would willingly go to the cross i will drink of that cup as he would tell peter when peter was pulling out a sword cutting off the ear of malchus listen this is important it should bring us great joy to walk in obedience to the lord and i pray that we never have the mindset or the heart of oh here's the commandments of the lord here are the precepts the truths that are given to us and, and what a bummer. Or the Lord just wants to be a killjoy in my life. Or he wants me to, you know, not enjoy life and, and just be bored and restriction and all of this is what we can conjure up. No, the Lord desires for us to be free, to be full of joy as we walk with him. He doesn't want us to be enslaved to sin. He doesn't want us to be hurt by it. He doesn't want us to be deceived by getting involved in the pleasures of the world, thinking that that's going to bring real joy and peace into our lives and freedom. It's not. It's going to bring hardship and heartache, and it's going to bring bondage to us. So his commandments, as John later on in his epistle would write, are not burdensome. But his commandments are good to free us and to, to live that life abundantly that the Lord desires to have for us. And so Jesus says, abide in me and your life will be joyful. Now, what we have read in this chapter so far, do you think that the Lord was pretty serious about abiding in him and in his love and in his word? I get that impression. So it's such a key in our Christian lives. And oftentimes, I think that, you know, there's a lot of books and, and seminars and conferences on you know, the key to Christian living or victorious Christian living or living that dynamic Christian life. And, and I'm not saying they're wrong or they teach wrong things, but here's the key. Very simple, never forget this. That if you want to live that victorious Christian life, if you want to experience that abundant life that the Lord has for you and for me, you stay close to Him. You continue to grow in your love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You abide in Him. Abide in His Word and abide in His love. And as you do, you're going to walk with Him closely and you're going to have that fullness of joy that He promises to give to you and to me. That's how it is that we live that, that vital, uh, very uh, wonderful Christian life, victorious Christian life that he has for us. Stay close to him and know him and love him and know his word and have it worked out in your life. In verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. An emphasis in this upper room discourse has been, as we have seen, is to love one another. 
In chapter 13, Jesus said a new commandment, or that is a fresh commandment that I uh, give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Uh, How did Jesus prove his love to those disciples and to you and to me? Well, a few hours later, after he said that, he went to the cross. And he would die for those disciples. He would die for you and for me. He would die for sinful humanity. It's a sacrificial love, an unconditional love. And Jesus brings that point out here again in chapter 15 by saying, greater love has no one than to lay down one's life for a friend. But I want to point out something to us, that Jesus says this is a commandment to love one another. It's not so much a feeling as it is an action. Not just emotions that we have, but it's something that we do. It's a commandment to do this, Jesus says, not necessarily feel this. And it is a work that the Lord has to do in our lives. It comes again by how? Abiding in Him, by bearing fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. One of the things that we discover when we make a choice to abide in Christ and in Him, to remember that I am to love others. As that fruit is being produced in your life, the feelings can follow. What did I mean by that? I've talked to, to many couples that perhaps one of them, maybe the husband will say, well, you know, I've just kind of lost that feeling for my, my wife. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And I will tell them, whoever it is that you pour your treasure into her, wife, you pour your treasure into him. And you love them. And you choose to love them. And you're going to find that as you do that, then the emotions are going to begin to follow. Well, I don't like him. I don't like her. And and I just don't care for them. And I think that most of us, if all of us, that we can feel those kinds of things. But when we choose to build them up and to edify them and to really begin to pray for them, when we really begin to do that, and then we say, you know what, Lord, change my heart on this. Then you're going to see that you're going to really begin to care about them. You're going to really feel for them. And that's the proof of that love that is being worked out in your life as you choose to do that. As you heed the command of what Jesus is telling us to do. Lay down your life. Lay down your life is what Jesus is saying. Now, John Marks one of the great, great teachers and reformers in Scotland. Those of you who, who know a little bit about church history, uh, his name is familiar with you. And he prayed this prayer that is often quoted, and sometimes I'll hear it quoted, that, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. And we need to remember, though, that when that quote is given, when he would write about how you know, the Lord spoke to him, when he prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. But that's not the end of it. The Lord spoke to him when he said that. When, when, when John Knox said, you know, give me Scotland or I die, then the Lord would speak to him and say, Lord, give me, you know, or the Lord would speak to him and say, first die and then I'll give you Scotland. You die. You die to yourself, John, and then I'll give you Scotland. So this is what you and I are to do. Lay down your life for your wife, guys. Lay down your life for her. Lay down your life for your kids. Lay down your life, wives, for your husband. We are to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Lay down our lives for our family, for others that are linked to us in our life. And as a church, I pray that we would do that together. Are we going to be a church that we lay down our lives for each other, that we die to self when we take the command to heart what Jesus is telling us here in this chapter? You see, I pray that we never become a church that we end up backbiting and we're tearing down. You know people, perhaps you're one of them. But we talked to other Christians that perhaps they were going to church at one time, to some church, and, and all of a sudden there's a lot of backbiting and division and tearing down and discouragement, and they stop going to church because of that. And it ought not to be. 
It would be Paul the Apostle that would warn the, the Galatian churches that he says, make sure that you don't you know, devour and bite one another. Don't tear each other apart is what he would say to them. So this love that is to be in our lives and in this church corporately is what the Lord desires for us. And I pray that as people come in that they would sense and perceive the love of Jesus Christ and the love that we have for each other. So no greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. It's a command. In verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. So people read this and they say, well, aren't we supposed to be servants? Then Paul and the other apostles called themselves bondservants of Jesus Christ? Yes, they did. But understand what Jesus is saying here. When he says that you, you know, no longer do I call you servants, but friends, it's important to understand that we're still to be servants of the Lord. We're still to be the wise and faithful servant following and serving our master. But Jesus is telling us here that it's more than that. God wants to reveal himself to us. He has opened up his heart to us. He wants us to know his heart. So Jesus here is talking about close, intimate fellowship and relationship here. You see, 2,000 years ago, a slave in the empire, for the most part, didn't have that closeness to the master. The master would come along and say, this is what you're to do, do this. And he didn't explain why that slave was to do that. That slave was just simply just do it. And here Jesus is saying to these guys, listen, I'm sharing my heart with you in this last teaching that I'm giving to you before I go to Calvary's cross. I love you guys to the point of going to the cross. Unconditional, sacrificial love for you. So love one another also. I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm sending another to comfort her and know that my peace is with you. You know the nature of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you are to abide in me and my love and keep my commandments. And, and as you do, you're going to bear fruit and fruit that's going to remain. And you are my friends. I've been telling you what it is that's going to happen. The slave doesn't know what the master is really doing. But Jesus says, I call you friends. And the things that I've heard from my Father, I've told you. And because there is relationship that Jesus has with those that are his, he's sharing his heart with them, isn't he? So all these things that we've been discussing and talking about in serving one another and loving one another, and I go and prepare a place for you, and, and you have the privilege of prayer asking in my name the desires of your heart, the comforter is coming. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. And, and so I speak to you these things. And what is so glorious and wonderful for us is the Lord has given us his word, how to live, how to be successful. And what I mean by that in the best sense of the word, how to be successful, not according to the world, but according to the Lord. In heaven's perspective, how you can be successful and joyful and have that life abundantly. All the promises given to us. And you can look at those that aren't his, those that are in the world, and those who are trying to find joy. They're so busy trying to find happiness, the world doesn't know what joy really is. And trying to find real purpose and direction and peace in their hearts and real fulfillment and satisfaction. They don't have it. They may have, you know, pleasure and, and happiness and some kind of fulfillment for a short time. And then, well, this isn't working. Because what happens is the world and society comes along and says, well, everything's changed. This is the key to life. And the world's philosophies and the world's ways are changing constantly. And that's why people that you know that are of the world and in the world are always wondering and confused and searching. 
And they're not ultimately fulfilled or satisfied. They don't have that peace of God. They don't have that real joy unspeakable that the scripture talks about because it's only found in a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And those of the world should be able to look at you and me and be able to see our lives. We who abide in Christ and they say, hey, he or she, they're a friend of Jesus. And it shows in their life. And I can sense that they have direction and satisfaction and fulfillment and peace and real purpose in their lives. It's because Jesus desires to share with us and reveal his heart to us and have closeness with us. Are we really understanding that? I hope we are. The words in this book, God's word, is more than just suggestions and nice stories or a list of do's and don'ts. These are the words of life, of truth, the living word of God. And we are his friends because we have relationship with him, a friend that he loved enough to die for. And he wants to do what is best for us, for us to bear fruit that remains, to bring glory to him. And then in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. Now Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. So I thought that this morning, while we have a few minutes, I would explain everything that I understand about election and being chosen and predestination. All those kinds of things that, that people wonder about and, and think about and and debate about. Here's everything that I understand on it. He chose us. That's about it. He chose us. Because I don't understand it all. And I don't understand all about the sovereignty of God, and no one does. I do know that the Bible declares that He chose us. I do know that God has foreknowledge. But I also know that he invites us. That the other side of the spectrum is this, that as Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the scripture says, shall be saved. And that includes all of us. All of us are whosoever. Jesus has made that invitation, come and see. Come to me and eat of me. I am the bread of life. Come to me and drink of me, those of you who thirst. So there can be all kinds of theological debate that goes on about election and predestination and Calvinism versus Arminianism. And in short, I have come to realize that when it does come to the sovereignty of God, when it comes to these subjects, I don't fully understand it. I don't know why God chose me. But I do rejoice in it. And I know that he chooses the weak things of the world and the foolish things of the world and the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are that no man will glory in his presence. I'm in that category of the weak and foolish things of the world. And I think that's what he's telling these guys. I chose you to bear fruit that it would remain. I've ordained you. Abide in me in my love, and you'll bear fruit and love one another. So don't get all big-headed. In verse 18, if the world hates you, and you know that it hated me before it hated you, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my words, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Isn't it kind of ironic that Jesus tells us that we are to love 
And then the response of the world to us is going to be hate and persecution. And it's because the world hates Jesus. You see, as I mentioned to you, you are not of this world. All of us were in the world, but we're not of this world. And because you are not of the world, the world is going to hate you. And the world's going to persecute you. Why? Because the world loves its own, Jesus said. And as Christians, we need to really realize this truth. When you come to Christ, when you surrender your life to Him, and you're abiding in Him, and you're walking with Him, and you're keeping His commandments, and you're walking in His love, listen, the world is not going to befriend you. And we need to understand that very clearly. Jesus said in John chapter 3, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. If people hate the light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, they're going to hate you and me who are also the light of the world, the light of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And as we walk with him, as we abide in him, you are going to be persecuted to one degree or another. It's a promise from the scripture. Do you know that? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 tells us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The key in that, all, not some, but all who desire to live godly will, not might, suffer persecution. Now, we know that there are different parts of the world right now where Christians are being killed for their faith. They're being told, renounce your faith in Jesus Christ or we're going to behead you. We're going to hang you. We're going to execute you. There are Christians that are being put in prison. It seems like in parts of the world, in the Middle East, and in the Far East, and in Africa, that the persecution is getting more heavy more severe, more ugly. This is my opinion. I believe that persecution is going to get worse here in our own nation. We're beginning to see that. Unless there is revival in this nation, if we keep going spiritually, morally, the direction that we've been going, a rejection of God, a rejection of his ways, not wanting to acknowledge God as the one who's really blessed this nation. You and I who stand for Jesus Christ, I believe the persecution is going to get worse. And there are going to be many who are going to come against us as you make a stand for Jesus Christ. It would be James in his epistle that wrote, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, our weapon, when we're persecuted, and it shouldn't surprise us when the world comes against us. Sometimes I think Christians are surprised, or the world's getting more bizarre. The scripture says that's going to happen, that in the last days it will be perilous times, very difficult times. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, be violent men. They'll hate godliness. All the description that is given to us there in the book of Second Timothy or 1 Timothy chapter 3. So our response to that is to love and to keep his commandments, to serve, to stand for truth. The reaction of the world is going to be rejection and persecution. But listen, I think it's a mistake that when a church or when a Christian compromises to befriend the world. And unfortunately, more and more, the church at large is doing that compromising truth because the world doesn't want the church to stand for truth. You know, we don't want to offend, many are saying. We are going to compromise. It's a mistake when churches or Christians want to be like the world or bring the things of the world. We are to be Christ-like. We're not to be worldly-like. We're to be Christ-like, which means that there's going to be a sacrifice and a cost, and a price to be paid. So while we're in the world, we are to fear God, not men. Remember in chapter 12, 
Remember we talked about this, those of you who are with us in our study in, in verse 42, that Jesus, as he had finished his address to the nation, it says that, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. In other words, they saw his works. It was undeniable. Jesus is going to talk about this and just as we finish the chapter. But they wouldn't confess him because they were so afraid of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. They were afraid to be put out of the synagogue. In other words, they had a fear of man over fear of God. And it's a sad verse. And unfortunately, that has happened today and is happening more. That those who believe, but they won't confess Jesus because they want to be of the world. They fear man over fearing God. Paul the Apostle in Galatians chapter 1 would say that if I fear man over fearing God, I cannot be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And I know that this is a little bit of a hard subject to talk about, but we need to realize that all of us are going to be put to the test in this. You're going to be tested your faith. Whether you're going to be faithful to God or you're going to be faithful to the world. You're going to be faithful to the commands of God or the ways of the world. You're going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ or you're going to be faithful to man. And as you walk with Christ, obey Him, love Him, be a light for Him, you're going to be put out. Maybe in your circle of friends, family members, the in crowd at work or at school because they're going to reject you just as they've rejected Jesus. If they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute us. Why? Because a servant is not greater than his master. Now, the reason that I'm emphasizing this as well is because it's important for us to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to... to you know, lift each other up. May this be a place where we can get away from all of that. Oh man, I need to be with the other believers. I need to be in fellowship. I need to go to Wednesday night. I need to go to men's study because the world is beating me up. And I know that as I go to Calvary Chapel, that as I am with the body of believers, I'm going to be loved and prayed for. And, and there are going to be there's those who are going to serve me and my family. And I'm going to be taught truth. And how important it is that we are that church because you and I are a target as soon as we walk out this door. So persecution at the hands of those who do not know the Lord for his name's sake. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Jesus comes as a revelation of God. Before Jesus, you know, come in, people might have pleaded ignorance. But now that Jesus has come and spoken the words of the Father, done the works of the Father, the light has come into the darkness. They have fully rejected him. And they have no excuse, Jesus says. They hate me without a cause. And knows that Jesus once again links himself to the Father. To hate Jesus is to hate the Father. And their hatred of Jesus was without cause or rational cause is what that means as he quotes from Psalm 35. That's a Psalm of David. Now, David had many enemies. And a lot of times those enemies came without a cause. You know, Saul is an example. As you go through 1 Samuel, that Saul who took David in as his armor bearer and David who served Saul, and, and yet Saul was one that was jealous of David and hated David, tried to kill David, threw spears at him, pursued him through the wilderness for about 12, 13 years. He had this irrational hate of David. He hated him without a cause. Some of you will experience that. Maybe that person at work or that person at school or, or maybe a family member, they just, just, you know, bitterness and anger and hatred towards you because you're a Christian. Now, there are those who will say, I love God, but they reject Jesus Christ. And the message of John's gospel has been very clear. You cannot, you cannot, 
You cannot go on record and say you love God and then reject Jesus Christ and don't acknowledge Him. Or you're bitter towards Him. You cannot do that. And so Jesus linking Himself to the Father continually. That's why we know that at Christmas time, you know the reason that people hate the story of, of Jesus being born is because they hate Jesus. They hate being told that they need to repent and turn to Him. There can be no rational reason why people get so upset, you know, when there's any mention of Christ in Christmas. When you and I read it, and it's such a wonderful, glorious story, isn't it? That gives us hope that Jesus comes to this world. But Jesus is saying, this is how the world, those of the darkness who don't want the light, are going to respond. And then as we finish this morning, but when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The mission of the Holy Spirit, that he testifies of Jesus. And the mission of his disciples, that is you and me, is to testify of Jesus. And as we do that, he will empower us. He will show us all truth, the Spirit of truth. But it's not always easy, is it? So Jesus, as we move into chapter 16 next time, is going to talk more about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how he's going to talk also more about that joy that will be in our lives as well. So Father, we thank you so much for this incredible Upper Room Discourse that we've been reading about. And Lord, my prayer is that as we read these words that are so important, Jesus sharing his heart with his disciples, with us. We get the privilege of listening in on this discourse. And Lord, that we would take heed to it. When it talks about loving one another, abiding in his word, abiding in his love, uh, bearing fruit, when it comes to keeping his commandments, when it comes knowing that the world will come against us, Lord, knowing that as we take heed to the words of the Lord, that fullness of joy comes, an incredible work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, I do want to pray if there's anyone that is here this morning that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that Jesus has linked himself to the Father in a way that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And in chapter 14, as we read that a few weeks ago, Jesus, a few hours after that, went to a cross that we might have a way to heaven and a way to the Father through the atoning work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, his burial, his resurrection as he conquered sin and death, and he's provided forgiveness of sin, you see, the problem is we're all sinners. And Jesus came and died for our sins. Jesus, the one who lived the perfect life. All the rest of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus, in that act of love, proving and demonstrating his love for us, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He went to the cross for you. It isn't about being religious. It isn't about do's and don'ts. It isn't about having your name on church membership. It's about personal relationship with Jesus and having forgiveness of sin and Christ living in your heart and walking with him and experiencing Jesus, what he wants in your life to the fullest, knowing that you are saved. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The world is not going to save you and you cannot save yourself. And Jesus said, whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. Are you a whosoever? If you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, this is real. It's the most important decision you will ever make in your life. It's a decision for Jesus and have come to him and believe in him and to follow him. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive, greater than any gift you'll ever receive at Christmas or a birthday or at any time. 
It's the gift of salvation. It's a free gift. You can't work for it. And it comes, as I mentioned, of repenting and just putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Quit going the direction you're going and recognize your need for the Savior of the world, Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. So if this means anything to anyone here this morning, surrender your life to Jesus. Call upon him, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You pray, Jesus, I come to you this morning, and I surrender my life to you. Because you do choose the foolish and weak things of the world, and I fit into that category. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on Calvary's cross for me. And then you were put into a grave, and you rose again, and you're alive. Because... You're knocking on the door of my heart and I now open my heart to you. I come in faith and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior and to forgive me. And I surrender my life to you right now. You are my Lord and my Savior. My life is not its own. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. If anybody prayed that prayer this morning, will you just put your hand up and put it back down? You're saying I'm making a statement of faith. I see you guys. Anybody? God bless you. I see you. Anybody else at all? If you're out in a coffee shop and I don't see you, just write it down on that communication card and drop it in an offering box or catch me after the service because the Lord loves you. And Lord, I, I thank you for those making decisions for Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for your son who came and died for us. And may we just keep that in our hearts this Christmas season as we enter into a new year that our joy may be full, abiding in him and just loving the Lord and growing in our relationship and closeness with Jesus knowing that the world will come against us. We pray for strength as we'll be leaving this place and going out into the world to our workplaces and other places that can be hard. But may your joy unspeakable be in our hearts. Lord, bless everyone here this week. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.